and welcome everyone to episode 211 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I am James, joined as always by Ryan and Paul. Uh, back after a week off, kind of postseason <laughs> cleanse our palate of how the Brewers ended their season and, and just kind of uh, enjoy the weekend away. Uh, how, how was your guys' week off? Well, I got sick, so... I spent Not all great. I spent all weekend hippying and then got the Wook flu and supposedly <laughs> may have had contact with somebody uh, who had COVID, but I've taken two uh, antigen tests and they've both been negative and I'm still waiting on my PCR to come back, but everything's been negative and it doesn't really fit the symptomology. It seems like I have a, a head cold. So that's why I'm sniffling, if you can tell. <laughs> there you go. Uh, man, it, it, it's always like kind of i don't want to say scary but it's like every time now we get sniffles right it's like is this it i don't know like especially you know if you had the vaccine you're sort just sort of like this could be a cold or it could not be and it, it's always just kind of hard to tell and i am triple vaxxed so there you go there you go so you know it's it's also heading into cold season two and and, and flu season and all that so uh, fingers crossed you're waiting for a test result and, and hopefully you get it soon. So, Paul, how about you? How was your week away from this? Uh, mostly fine. Good Packer games. But uh, I I will say I think I'm not in the best Halloween spot with my kid ages. They're, they require a lot of um, – they're in that age when they still require a lot of personal attention. They can't just go oh. run off and trick-or-treat on their own. And, right. uh, like, I don't like having candy around. I, I don't – I've decided I don't like candy. I have an old – old person who doesn't like candy <laughs> and it's just empty calories so i'm gonna go and stick it in a high up cabinet that takes a footstool to reach so that i can't get it all the time and uh you know that's all fine but on the plus side aaron Rodgers gave me uh one sixteen thousandth of a bitcoin today so happy about that <laughs> he did <laughs> yeah <laughs> he did that, that's true um aaron Rodgers is giving away very small amounts of bitcoin actually some people got like a hundred bucks but i'm not one of them i got 10 uh, uh, but yeah, that, he's doing a promotion where that actually happened. I did it just to test it, and it was—it's real. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You'll get Aaron's money time. before yeah. he leaves town. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can be a Packers team owner and have some of Aaron Rodgers' money. Yep, that's that's even better than uh, the whatever the Fox promotion is with Terry Bradshaw, right? So <laughs> I still can't figure out exactly what that is, except that I think it's probably a con of some sort. It's a con and money laundering betting just like everything else there it's unwatchable i actually like turned on espn for the first time in like years and literally like sports center it was all betting it's all betting it's really stuff. bad i i could i couldn't watch any of it it's everything is themed like that like it, it it's just i it's not for me i hate that is. i hate that baseball is going that way like going to a baseball game is different than going to the track you know if it <laughs> you go to a horse track or a casino, but horse track, you go to there to gamble. The horses are just something to gamble on, and nobody cares about that. what's happening. Like it, it's just, And baseball has not ever been that, except for some degenerate people. But it's like all sports are like turning into that. It's not cool. It's uh, it, Nobody can enjoy things for what they are anymore. It's just a way to make money on inefficiencies, and it's a pain. Yeah. I'm sure some consultant told them that more people will care if you give them, you know, financial reasons to care. But I just kind of want sports information and stuff. And I guess I, I'm just getting old, too. It's not for me. So mm -hmm. I'm the grumpy old guy without candy. Too, I hate candy I and betting. 
Yeah. But, but, <laughs> but you like free Bitcoin. <laughs> but you like Bitcoin. So, you know, you'll take what you can get. All right. Uh, we do have some Brewers offseason stuff to talk about this week, and we got some questions about that. But before we get started, uh, as always, we want to remind you, you can help support us and the reporting as eligible gang by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash tailgate. Two bucks a month, you get that question priority here while helping us out just a little bit. Uh, that question priority goes for both here on the Brewers bo- podcast and on the reporting as eligible Packers podcast. Five bucks a month, meanwhile, gets you that extra content. You get the minor league extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson. Also get Paul's reporting as eligible uh, preview mini pods. He'll preview the game every single week. And Paul, we have uh, some free stuff for patrons this week. Free stuff for patrons this week. Yes. If you sign up at the $5 level or higher, (laughs) the bong level level or higher, I've got five shirts of various types to give away on Friday. Tell you what they are. Um, I have two reporting as eligible shirts, which we also sell at Appleton Coffee Company. I have two of uh, two shirts we made at Acme Packing Company, which are um, feature Aaron Rodgers and say, I own you going back to the Bears game. <laughs> when he said that to a bunch of Bears fans who were flipping him the bird. Um, we got actual NFL PA licensing on that. So it actually has Aaron Rodgers signature on it and wow. his actual real um, cartoon visage anyway. Um, <laughs> and I also have a reporting as eligible hoodie, uh, which is uh, the best thing in there. It is uh our hoodies are great. If you don't have one, take a look. We also sell those. But so I got five things. So if, um, I'm going to take the Patreon list uh, and just do a random drawing uh, of people on Friday. Um, if you are in by then, you'll be eligible for it. And we haven't done this in a while. So um, I, I think I, I have a standing rule that if you've won anything in the last six months, I won't put you in. But I think we're clear of everybody on that. So everybody's good for this one. Uh, you know, you're, you're welcome to turn it down if you've won before. But um, everybody is good to go for this raffle. So um Look forward to that on Friday. And if you want to join, now's your time to get in. There you go. Like you said, five bucks, patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Get in by the end of the week, get some free stuff. What could go wrong? You know, so uh, definitely do take advantage of that. And, you know, stick around as a patron. You get all that other stuff, too. So even if you don't get that sweet, sweet reporting as eligible sweatshirt. So, yeah, the uh, mini this week, I accidentally cursed Derek Henry. And now Adrian oh, no. Peterson is back in the league. So. <laughs> Not even good for not even you. Playing the Titans and did it on accident. So, oh, there we go. All right. Uh, I guess turning to the Brewers now. There has been some Brewers news since we've been gone. Uh, you know, I think we're kind of anticipating a a slow trickle of information uh, this off season, especially. But we got some. Uh, even though the World Series is still going on, you know, uh, those off days kind of provide the league, uh, rest of the league, to get some news out. So we had uh, Ed Cedar officially retiring. Uh, ending a decades-long career there with the Brewers. The Brewers also fired Andy Haynes, uh, much to the rejoice of everybody on Twitter, and told <laughs> the rest of the hitting coaches to go find jobs elsewhere. Uh, basically told them, you know, you can interview and stick around, but maybe you should go look something for something else somewhere else. Everybody got future endeavored. Yep, there we go. Best of best wishes, of course. And, uh, you know, uh, Matt Arnold was almost poached by the Mets before he was able to work the Brewers for an extension, kind of college football head coach style. So good for him. Um, so a few things to kind of recap here. I guess let's start with the Andy Haynes news. Uh, like I mentioned, it's something that a lot of fans probably spent most of the year clamoring for, if not most of two years. Uh, and now it's happened. So I guess, Ryan, what's next for that? role and where do the brewers go 
Well, I don't know about the rest of you, but I was busy trying to uh, find the next guy and was asking <laughs> if you saw Tim Hires, the uh, very accomplished hitting coach. Well, I don't know. Is he accomplished? He, he has a bunch of really good offensive players in Boston, and they've averaged more runs per game over the last four years than any other team in baseball. And mm-hmm. so they've been really good. And But he also had you know a ton of really great players, and he just walked away from his job today. So... Uh, the Brewers could go get him, and I'm sure that would fix absolutely everything right away because absolutely. that's how this works, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just a few tweaks, back in business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, Paul, your reaction to, I guess, firing Andy Haynes. I know we've talked about this as the question has come up like several times so, like, over the, the last year. The policy line here is that the hitting coach is, doesn't matter and is there to get fired. Um, <laughs> but it is worth noting that the Brewers are actually a successful organization, and it's usually bad organizations that fire their hitting coach as a precursor to firing their manager. And while the minor league development of hitters for the Brewers needs basically a complete overhaul, and he has very little, if anything, to do with that, you know, they're hitting at the major league levels bad. And ultimately, you got to show some results if you're Andy Haynes. You got to be able to point to something, like not just like, like, what is Andy Haynes' accomplishment over the last few years? Like, Yelich has gotten worse and not fixed. Hira, yes, that's a lot of minor league stuff, but has not improved in the majors. And I think there's been some some swing tweaks by the major league staff that maybe haven't worked out so well. And your only good offensive players are guys who came from other teams. Like, there's there's nothing to show for... Andy Haynes has nothing to put on that resume right now. It's not great. So... Um, you know, maybe it's time for, he might not be a bad hitting coach. Maybe he works better in a different organization with different types of players. Maybe he clashes with their draft philosophy. I don't know, but there's like, it's time to move on because he has not accomplished anything. So it's fine. Yeah, I think it it is fine. I just, whether or not it it ends up meaning anything is going to come down to, I think some factors that aren't going to really be under the control of the new person. And that would be whether or not the players are open to making changes. The players who do stick around are open to making changes and trying new things and figuring some stuff out. And whether or not uh, Haynes was getting through to them or not, or they were not listening to him. And if they weren't, that is also a problem. Like you, if a, if a guy's message isn't getting through, if guys aren't listening, well, that's a problem and you need to get rid of the guy in that case too, even though it's not necessarily their fault. But I think the biggest factor in all this is just going to be who do they bring in and is the hitting going to get better because of moves that they make around the periphery to get better offensively and specifically targeting certain aspects of offense. Like do they try to do what the Astros did going into 2017, which was well, before they started cheating was to strike out (laughs) a lot less. And so they brought in guys who did not strike out nearly as much. And yeah, that was, it, it did transform their offense in a big way, and it did help out what they were doing there. So they brought in Beltron, they brought in Yuli Guriel, they brought in, oh, who am I not thinking? Brantley. Oh, Reddick. No, Brantley came a couple years later. I thought it was Brantley, but okay. yeah, Brantley came a little bit later, but he also fits in that mold. But, fits that mold, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, is that a thing they need to do? I don't know. It's hard to strike a balance because I think I can speak for all of us when I say we've sort of been. You know, we came up into baseball as adults in the world of Moneyball, and the idea of hit, you know hitters being patient and working counts deep is a good thing, and that's what you want. You don't want hitters who swing at junk outside of the zone. But there is the question of can you be too passive? Can you be 
too selective to the point where you're letting too many good hittable pitches go by and not putting good swings on those balls that you could really do damage on. And they probably did fall into that, at least to some extent, over the last few years. And the question is, how do you get them to swing at the good stuff that they can hit and not swing at the the crap stuff, which they weren't swinging at before? Yeah, there's there's another big change since Moneyball, which, you know, Moneyball's ancient now. And mm-hmm. the lessons of Moneyball are long since passed, but... Um, the way that that pitching has developed over the last like five ten years, where your bullpen is now almost always superior to your starting pitchers, means that the old philosophy of uh, be patient and make pitchers work and make them get into their bullpen is often extremely counterproductive. And mm-hmm. if you pass on hitting starting starting pitchers pitches, you're often going to be passing on the best pitches you'll see all game. Right. Um, it's often the case when you work into the bullpen that that's when it's time to start making bullpen guys work and throw strikes. Um, they cannot go as long as starters, but you do yourself a disservice a lot, a lot of the time by um, by putting wear and tear on a starting pitcher when it's much better if you can let them go a little bit longer um, and work into their third time through the order a little bit deeper than you might otherwise do or their fourth time if you can make them stick around that long and be productive in doing so. Yeah, it's not just about working pitchers to wear them down, though that is, I think there's still an advantage to it. I think that you would rather force teams to make changes earlier rather than later, because there isn't an unlimited supply of good pitching out there. Like, there's more of it than there used to be, and and guys in the bullpen are better now than they were. But I think the bigger factor still is that you do want hitters who are going to draw walks, because getting on base is still the most important component of offense. So it is still the thing that separates good teams from bad teams. And the Brewers did. They were fourth in Major League Baseball last year in terms of drawing walks. So you don't want to give up a lot of that. You want to keep that and add to it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's difficult. It is a tricky thing to do that they're going to they're gonna have to try to thread this needle and figure it out. And I don't know. I suggested uh, Anthony Rizzo would be a good person to look at at first base just because he is an exceptional guy in terms of making contact and not hitting. Uh... Yeah, absolutely. And I think both of you guys kind of make really good points too. I know Ryan said in the past too, you know, the Brewers really capitalized this year, especially on uh, coming back on bullpens and, you know, drawing those walks is a big part of that. But yeah. I think, you know, Paul's absolutely right too. I mean, nobody scores on bullpens anymore. It's not just the Brewers. I mean, the Brewers have a, excellent bullpen and and they're better than most at preventing runs but so many games these days in a 162 game season if you're not going to score on the starting pitcher you might not score at all (laughs) and we kind of saw that with the brewers plenty this year too uh so yeah i i think it's definitely about striking that balance and maybe finding somebody who can maybe preach a little bit more aggressiveness right like the, the walks are great but how many times paul have we like been frustrated this past year specifically of guys like Christian Yelich kind of either watching the first or second pitch fastball down the middle and then they end up striking out on a worse pitch. Yeah, I mean, I think the scouting was out there on the Brewers and it just seemed epidemic that they would do that and that people would start them off with strikes because they knew that the organizational philosophy was that to, to wait things out. Um, and, and it's, it's just they missed out on so many meatballs by doing so. 
Um, and aside from all that, just quick quick thought experiment that that I started doing earlier today was: let's say that you're facing Jeff Supan and he's starting against you, and let's say that your first like your first batter of the game is a good bat control. Like, let's just say it's Colton Wong. Let's use all Cardinals that played for the Brewers. Um, let's say he <laughs> fall. Let's say he falls off ten straight pitches to start the game, and as a result of that, Jeff Supan's pitch count gets to like ninety in the fourth inning. Um, that that is effectively going to cost you an inning of Supan in the fifth um, because he, he's not going to go more than a hundred pitches. Like it's just not going to happen. So that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Like, and that's fouling. That's not taking walks, but same, same effect when you take a lot of pitches, even if you draw walks, you're going to get, you know, often a six, seven, eight pitch at bat doing that. And that's going to drive out, especially sub tier starters much, much more quickly. Um, so it's, it's a thing to think about when you're looking at being patient, there's definitely a bigger downside to being patient than there used to be when managers were trying to grind through seven innings with their starters all the time. Um, when that was the objective of, of baseball kind of to some extent. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's just, when you see them taking so many strikes early, um, it, it does start to grate a little bit because you know that they're going to get junk later when they're behind in the count. Absolutely. And I guess this discussion kind of segues nicely into our first Patreon question. Uh, you know, when we're talking about organizational philosophy and whether or not that has to change. Uh, first question, of course, Jay Google uh, asking, do you think the Brewers need to look within the organization for a hitting coach or venture outside of the organization? Uh, Paul, your, what's your thoughts on that one? I mean, I'd go outside because we've complained about all aspects of the Brewers hitting philosophy. And yes, sure. they have a new director of hitting in the minor leagues. So, but, but I don't think that we've seen her implement people th that we have vetted and know are going to alter things at the major league level. So I think you go outside for this. There's no proven, there's no reason to go inside. There's no record of success. And if anything, you need to be getting diverse voices into the hitting philosophy at the major and minor league level as much as possible because whatever you were doing, same old thing's not working. And um, you probably do want to steal from some of the more innovative teams on that philosophy. So, yeah, I think outside for sure. I don't know why you would go inside. I would favor outside too, though I will say that there's a good chance they have people that they've been bringing in over the last years and not just the the minor league hitting coordinator who we talked about in the last episode, but that they've been bringing in people and have been working on this for a while. And if they have somebody they really feel strongly about in their minor league system somewhere, somewhere on their staff, I wouldn't begrudge them uh, promoting that person and, and say that, well, they should just be disqualified because the organization needs somebody different. Because if you'd taken that logic back when Craig council was hired to be the team's manager, that was a big strike against him. Keith Law hounded that point for a long time, well past the point he should have been hounding it, was that the Brewers hired Craig Council from within for an organization that hadn't had a lot of success in terms of developing managerial candidates or, or anything, you know, coaching it, it sort of internally for, for a while. There was no reason to think that, except for the fact that they worked with him on a daily basis and saw this guy's really, really good at what he does, and we want him to be the manager. And so they turned out to be right on that because they were looking at him. Is that person already in the Brewers organization? Absolutely no way of knowing. I, I just think. But it could be. I think with counsel, 
that's an entirely behind the scenes position that he's doing before he's manager. And so that's a true unknown. But if there's somebody in the organization who has, who they think is a good hitting coach or has a good offensive philosophy and a good teaching hand, um, there should be some evidence of it somewhere, whether it's some, you know, bubble success down in double a or something like this is, this is an actual job with tangible results. And yes, it might be buried under other people's incompetence. But in that case, I want to know how the brewers know that person is good and we're able to pick it out of the incompetence. And I want to understand uh, why that person wasn't elevated beforehand into a role where the, their their competence wasn't buried under other people doing poorly. I mean, it might be that they're just that new. Well, then they don't have a track record. Then, <laughs> then they're just making stuff up. Well, no, but Council wasn't there that long. What was he there two, three years before they ended up hiring Plenty him? Plenty of time. Right, but we we don't know. We just you. Frankly, it's going to be hard to know between the hitting coaches that you have because you have a hitting coach on each minor league team. You also have roving hitting coordinators, people that are with the organization in general, and then you have private coaches as well that might have influence over over individual players. So an individual's uh, success or failure might be more due to something coming from outside the organization entirely. So it's it's hard to know without a, a large thing. I think that what their focus would be is on the process, right? They would be looking at how is this person teaching? What are they what are they looking at? What are their what are they are what are they identifying as their traits? And then how are they coaching and instructing it? And if they like that, if they see somebody that they think is really, really good, I wouldn't demand that they go outside the organization just to go outside. Sure. I guess in that uh, line of thinking, too, kind of segues into another Patreon question we got from Adam Post. He's asking us, you guys bring up traits. What traits specifically make up an ideal hitting coach, you know, other than being easily fireable? Paul? <laughs> uh, so it's it's a very difficult thing to do. And hitting coach varies drastically depending on the level that they're working um the major league hitting coach frankly doesn't do that much he's there to do a very difficult job of trying to get guys out of slumps to fix minor defects on the fly while season's going on versus the in the minors you're much more hands-on and trying to instill like a hitting philosophy and, and and change things get guys major league ready that's completely different but uh coaching is kind of this uh, so while the, the responsibility is different coaching itself is kind of the same everywhere and it really does especially hitting and pitching derive from uh taking this these state of the art assessing uh, being a good assessor of what a guy does well and what can be amplified and what needs to be downplayed and then communication is the most important thing because um, you're, well, yes, all, hitting coaches are going to have a background in baseball and generally know how hitting has to happen. That's going to be a consistent thing. What At the major league level, what you're mainly doing is taking an organizational philosophy of what to focus on and being a good communicator and teacher of those principles to a wide variety of people from different, different backgrounds who speak different languages and getting that across a, 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 in so many different ways as well as possible. Um, it's a very difficult job. It's very much like being a teacher to, um, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of different people that are very, 
very hugely compared to what you get in an average classroom because you have so many different backgrounds and so much diversity in baseball. And um, I think that's really what you are looking for when you're assessing coaches generally, but especially a position coach at a skill position is how effectively do they convey information? And when they're giving you their pitch, when you're assessing them, how much do they make you want to do what they're teaching? Are you bored or are you generally engaged in what they're saying and um, thinking, oh, I have maybe not given some thought to this thing that they've raised and I would like to try it. And, and then judging based on their implementation of how effective their coaching is. Now, this has gotten very scientific in baseball, too. We know all about the pitching lab and um, we know all about the, the driveline developments and how how granular you can get in assessing how pitching works, it's not like hitting is immune to that. Hitting's harder. Hitting's much more difficult to do because it's reactionary. But we can still make very minute measurements on things like how long the bats are in the zone, their plane, um, various sweet spots for various swings off various pitches. It's very granular. So it really is taking a mass of information and communicating it in a, a simple way that, that people can understand, don't fight back against, and are able to implement kind of meeting people where they are too right that's yes. kind of the idea too um yeah i guess uh speaking of teachers <laughs> ryan i guess what are your uh preferred traits for the next brewers hitting coach yeah i mean so i don't want somebody who's going to be taking a one-size-fits-all approach because that doesn't work with hitting especially you need somebody who's going to meet like you guys were saying meet play people where they are and try to figure out what the best, what their best swing, what their best approach looks like. Because it's going to be different for every hitter. Not every hitter can be Juan Soto. Not everybody has that skill set to be able to do that. So you have to figure out what is the best set of circumstances for that. And you're going to need somebody who's going to be very collaborative with a front office that knows what the hell they're doing and can look at data and is willing to take those that information and try to figure out ways to make that work. So... And then it really is about trying to get people to buy into what you're telling them and getting them to trust you to put their careers in your hands because that's a big deal. I think that we oftentimes lose sight of the idea that these guys have made it a very long way by doing things a certain way. And except for the you know inveterate tinkerers who are always changing what they're doing all the time, mm-hmm. most guys you know have largely gotten to where they are which is a very, you know, they've gotten past 99.9% of the other human beings on earth in terms of this this skill by doing things one way. And guys are going to be hesitant to throw that away. They're going it, to it's going to take convincing and showing guys, "Hey, this is the way we need to do things." And I think the more that you show a demonstrated level of success, the more people will flock to that, right? The way that yeah. the Brewers can point to on their pitching side, hey, you don't you don't think that uh, changing your your pitches and, and changing your approach will work? Go talk to Corbin Burns. Ask him how it worked for him. You know, they yeah. don't necessarily have that on the hitting side right now, and they need to get that. And I think yeah. that that comes from experience, and it comes from having successes, which they've been kind of limited at at this point on the hitting side. Yeah. I think any hitting coach that I interviewed, I would basically make a package of Yelich highlights and I would ask as part of my interview process, give me what you would do for this because Yelich is such, <laughs> well, he's a, he's such a bizarre profile. He's yeah. very hard. 
Uh, so one of the reasons Yelich hasn't been fixed is, uh, I think with your normal left-handed power hitter, your problem is just going to be like bat speed slowing down a little bit or maybe getting a little bit less incline than you used to. Maybe not. You're, maybe you're getting ahead of things and and not pulling. Maybe you're pulling outside things too much, not letting them go past. But Yelich is so weird because he, he's such a big ground ball, ball profile. And he is—he really is like two different hitters against lefties and righties, and and a pull versus spray, and I think that's why he's hard to fix. Because it, it, normally, if you saw a power hitter start crushing things into the ground all the time, you'd say, okay, well, just, we'll change your, we'll get your elevation back, and you'll be fine. But when Yelich was super good, he was hitting the ball into the ground a whole bunch, so his swing was working when he was doing that at some point. And I think one of the things I'd want to talk to a hitting coach about is, okay, take a look at this tape. And take here's Yelich good tape. Now, do you think that we need to tweak things to get him back to the way he was? Or do you think we need to do a swing rebuild and turn him into more of a conventional left-handed power hitter? Uh, and then explain why your decision is what it is. That's how I would test all my guys coming through. <laughs> it's definitely question number one in the hitting coach interview, right? For the Brewers. How the hell do you fix Christian Yelich? Yeah, or at least give me a, uh, maybe he's unfixable, but I want to hear your assessment of what's wrong and what your you know your plan would be to test and get him right absolutely especially since you know the brewers were up and down that it wasn't a medical issue so yep you know that seems to indicate that at least david stearns thinks that it might be just a mechanical or as we've said like mental issue and a hitting coach would have a big role in that and you know it turns out andy haynes went way back with christian yelich but he wasn't able to find that answer and now he's without a job so it it definitely will be i think priority number one right for whoever they bring in uh, just because the brewers have invested so much in him and so much of what they can be <laughs> rests on that bat so i guess we'll see uh what happens you know if <laughs> if there's a hire here in the next week or two or or what happens with that but uh definitely probably one of the biggest storylines of the brewers offseason um, shifting gears a little bit, you know, we brought up the whole Matt Arnold saga uh, with the, the the Mets and their search for uh, president of baseball operations and just that franchise being a mess as a whole. And I guess we should rewind a little bit and go back to the Mets trying once again to get David Stern for the Brewers <laughs> and Mark Adonazio once again going, no, contracts are a thing. Don't think so. Uh, try again in a couple of years. Uh, so after failing to get David Stearns again, they went next on the line to Matt Arnold, obviously, you know, kind of a rising star in the profession. Brewers gave him the GM title to kind of keep him away from other teams as well. And then we had this whole like rigmarole of do the Brewers need to give permission for him? Is it technically a lateral move because Sandy Alderson stopped calling the shots in New York? It's not really a baseball president job that kind of thing. And by the time we all had that figured out, Matt Arnold said, screw it. No, uh, took his name out of the running. And as we mentioned, got that contract extension from the Brewers. So, Hey, good for him. Work the system. Leverage is a beautiful thing. Uh, but I guess what is it with the Mets and trying to steal a Brewers personnel, Paul? Uh, I, I, part of it is, I think just some familiarity there. And, and they, the, David Stearns, you know, it's famously always reported Every time there's a Mets thing, like oh he wants to go home to his childhood team or whatever, I've never I don't even know I just I just know it from reporters saying I don't even bother to look it up. Um, 
But it starts there, and then it spirals from there. So that's part of it. It's familiarity. The Brewers also have a good front office. They're a good place to poach from. I mean, um, you don't want to poach from the Cubs front office. That's that's a stupid idea. Look at what they've been doing lately. <laughs> so uh, part of part of it is they're one of you know like the five best run franchises in the game at the moment, especially if, given their budget constraints. Uh, that gets them on everybody's radar, and big teams do poach from small teams when that happens fairly regularly. Um, and they, there's New York ties there, and it's not like you know once once you miss out on Stearns, if you also like Matt Arnold, like well, he's part of the same system. He probably runs a very similar system. He might even be a little cheaper. Who knows? <laughs> so that's where he, I mean, it's just an option. It's, it's right. smart to do honestly if you can get the next best guy. That's fine. Um, but that's uh, that's really why there's the Mets thing starts with Stearns and then it spirals from there. They think he wants to go there. <laughs> <laughs> The Brewers have an elite front office, and of course people want to to pluck guys out of that. And what was so amusing about it was, like James said, by the time that they had worked out whether or not he could even talk to the Mets or not, and apparently it was he was going to be allowed to do it, he said, nah, thanks anyway, I'm getting an extension from the Brewers. It's That's not what I want to do anyway. So I think that the answer to that probably was, yes, Sandy Alderson was still going to be around in some capacity, exercising some level of control over the top of the baseball operations department. Yep. And I, if I was Matt Arnold, I wouldn't want any part of that either. Sandy Alderson was at one point one of the most innovative executives in the game. Now he seems to be around mostly just to keep his son employed. So, <laughs> Yeah, that entire Mets organization just... Seems like something you don't want to step into if yeah. that's your first step into that new role, right? It's actually you don't a, a, want a that good, stained on your resume. <laughs> yeah, it's not even a stain on your resume. It, it's a it's a sign of intelligence by executives. Any any high level employee, if you detect that you're going into any kind of a cancerous situation, a situation or anything less than what you want, like David Stearns or Matt Arnold, when they're free of their brewer obligations can go wherever they want and maybe david stern wants to go to the mets eventually it's possible but right now that's not a good place to work um there are other places that are better places to work and there's no mm -hmm. reason to subject yourself to that kind of thing at this point their opportunities aren't going to get closed off anytime soon they have a lot of leeway built in with what they've done with the brewers lately um and you know it's also a matter of confidence in yourself like you, you don't you don't need to jump into new york you uh you're in baseball and there's lots of things that are better than the Mets out there. Yeah, it does kind of suck for the Mets fans because they thought, yeah. having gotten rid of the Wilpons, that everything was going to be great now. And now it turns out that Steve Cohen is just, I don't know if it's like the... He's a richer Wilpons. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah it's like, was the organization haunted by the Wilpons? Have they put a curse on it? Like, what, <laughs> what exactly is going on here? Because everything that can go wrong does seem to go wrong for the Mets always. And uh, I, they really need to get their organizational structure in better shape. Um, and, and this may just be, uh, honestly, this may be a little bit of a Midwest East Coast thing to some extent. You get bigger personalities often um, out there and in the New York market for sure. But um, they don't seem to know how to handle themselves publicly. And anything you hear leaked out is always dysfunctional. And that's going to scare people away because being in charge of a baseball team means being in charge of a baseball team. You are in control. And if you are not actually in control because of people above you meddling, that that's what wrecks you. 
Uh, and if you're with the Brewers, yeah, it's the Brewers. You're in Milwaukee, but you know that's not going to happen. You know, you have much more support than you probably expect to have from Mark Asanasio in terms of what signings happen for this team every year. Mm-hmm. And y- you you have a good, competent ship that's not going to flip on a dime and suddenly go to hell. Um, there are other places like that that they could go that may be a promotion, but the Mets are not one of those places. Yeah, I mean, between Steve Cohen deciding he wants to be George Steinbrenner for the Twitter era mm-hmm. and like just all of the cultural stuff that you're going to have to go in there and like decide what people are just horrible pieces of crap and get rid of them because apparently there's a bunch of them, you know, who have like worked their way into like the digestive tract of that organization. And you're going to have to go in and like remove them surgically from the, the situation. And it's, like, I have every confidence that David Stearns, especially, I don't know much about Matt Arnold because we really don't know. David Stearns has been running <laughs> baseball ops here. But also I have, true. I have every confidence David Stearns seems like the utmost professional and would be able to handle this and do it very adeptly. His main skill seems to be hiring good people around him, which is really what you want from somebody in that position is to bring in mm-hmm. as many good minds and skill sets as you can around you and deploy them well. So I have no doubt he could do that, but Atanasio doesn't seem to want to let him do that. And I do not blame him at all because, again, this is, you know, you have a contract with a guy and it it is what it is. You you have him for two more years. And so that is the thing. I, I think that it would be wise for Atanasio to not overplay that hand because you don't want to get a reputation mm-hmm. for being someplace where guys are going to have their careers like stunted by coming there because that right. will then hurt you in getting your next good young bright mind mm-hmm. that was actually going to be my next question so you know it's it's awesome that Marque is you know the champion of the little guy and, and wants to make sure small market teams aren't getting poached all the time uh but i guess is that good staff policy overall or does it make it a a less attractive place to work at some point because you kind of get the reputation of you can't go somewhere else. Well, no, I think what you want to do is you want to become Cleveland. You want to become Tampa Bay. And we're not there yet because we aren't nearly at the maturity point of those organizations. They've been running this system. We've been doing it for, what, six years since David Stern showed up. They've been doing it for multiple decades. Yeah. You know, at this point, they've all been doing it much longer. But they have turned into, look at look at the trees, especially Cleveland. Everybody, David Stearns was in Cleveland at one point. Like, everybody's been through Cleveland. That's just, it's like the clearinghouse for, for front office people is to go work some time in Cleveland and then, you know, go out into the, the, the rest of the world out there. But Tampa yeah. Bay has a whole bunch of people. You know, was it James Click? And yep. that's uh, where I was going to go. Yeah, like those guys, they've a bunch of people from uh, the area or from, Tampa Bay are now running baseball ops in Boston. They're running it in Houston. Like Oakland has this to a degree as well, though it's a little bit different there because Bean has been there so long as such a strong figurehead of things. But he still has a number of people who've come out from underneath him, like Farhan yeah. Zaidi and David Forrest. He's he's produced a number of guys too. That's ultimately what you want to become. And so you don't get too wrapped up in who your current person is. You make sure that the system itself is strong and can regenerate itself going forward. That's what you want to set up. As always, there's also good and bad ways to do this kind of thing. And one of the good ways to get to do it 
is at, at the time you sign contracts and extensions to set expectations with people and to discuss at that time, hey, if these teams come calling, how interested are you? If the Mets come calling, how interested are you? And let's make that part of you know buyout talks and things like that. Uh, you you want to be uh, in any contract negotiation. Uh, you want to come out of it with as much transparency and preparedness um, as you possibly can, so that nobody is surprised when this happens. Uh, I am sure that when the Mets came calling, that the Brewers had been talking about the possibility of the Mets coming calling for a couple of years because it's not a secret and it's happened before. So I'm sure they had built into both Stearns and Arnold's contracts and and just their general messaging to them like, okay, when this happens, what happens? What What is the protocol? And, you know, you can always break contracts that has, it has a cost to do that, but you can do it. But um, the Brewers probably also asked, okay, what do we need to do if that situation arises? What's going to look like to have to, to have to keep you? Um, and also on the other side, here's what we we expect from you. And here's what we're going to do if this happens, which is not just you get to go do it. Um, and, you know, Matt Arnold leveraged it. And I'm sure the Brewers, part of doing this right is, hey, you're in demand. And we see that you're in demand and we don't want you to leave. We do value you. And we talked about this at your contract time. And we know that this job is attractive. So well, how would you feel about this? It's a substantial raise. It's a substantial promotion. Um, it, it gives you more responsibility. Maybe get a better job in a couple of years. That's how you handle it. And then people aren't better. And then that is what trickles out to the rest of baseball. That, hey, if you get a job with the Brewers and you do a good job, they'll take care of you. Even if you get better offers, they'll still take care of you. That's valuable, too. It's not just, oh, these assholes blocked me. It's also, if you get a better offer, Maybe they will let you go, but they'll definitely bargain with you before they do, which not a lot of employers do, by the way. Um, the way of modern capitalism is very often if you get a better job offer that you are you're gone at that point. Um, and it's good to see organizations valuing their internal knowledge like the brewers do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it, you know, we we don't have to worry too much anymore obviously Matt Arnold walked away with that contract extension you know we've got at least a couple years of David Stearns left and you know I think this is just all good discussion too and you know I do think the Brewers are kind of well on their way to uh, kind of being known as the organization where you get to kind of grow into another role right like we saw it with Ray Montgomery too you know obviously the Brewers kind of made a choice not to you know, promote him to GM at the time, but you know, he went on and uh, was able to kind of take another job elsewhere. Thanks to the, the experience the brewers gave him there. So I, I do think it's uh, a good sign that the brewers kind of always end up in the situation every off season of worrying about your staff being poached, but that means you have good staff, you know, it, it's kind of the way things go. And if you believe in your system, sort of like what Paul was saying, you just, you know, find the next person that can kind of step into that role and grow into it as well. So uh, you don't have to worry in that case. So, uh, but so far, so good. Uh, good to kind of see that those guys are sticking around for another couple of years. Uh, and, you know, maybe it, it means the Brewers competitive window. It stays open a few more years because you've got the same brain trust running things. On that note, we do have a Patreon question from Alex Lamers. He's asking, what do you think the biggest key to keeping a competitive window open for the next several years is? I'd love to see the Brewers retain as much of their starting rotation talent as they can, but what is realistic? 
Ryan, I'll go to you first because I know you've been kind of floating the idea of maybe extending that window by trading some starting pitching. What what are your thoughts? How do the Brewers kind of stay in contention here? Well, it's by keeping a pipeline of young cost-controlled talent rolling to the major leagues. It's about keeping a consistently high number of good above average players who are 0 to 3 or maybe in the first year of their arbitration, keeping a lot of those guys around because they don't cost a lot and it allows the Brewers to to play well above sort of their heads in terms of their payroll, which unless they're planning on expanding their payroll by leaps and bounds, you're not going to be able to extend more than maybe one of those starters for the next contract. And I say maybe very hesitantly because I'm not sure it's going to take one of them being willing to sign a contract that frankly is less than what they could probably get on the open market. I think for it to make sense for the brewers, if they're going to keep their payroll level in the same ballpark, if they're not going to all of a sudden jump to 160, 170, you know, start pushing up towards the luxury tax. If they did that, then they could, you know, obviously they could afford to keep one, maybe even both of them if they decided it was a good risk long term. But it just all depends on what they want to spend. So I think that the biggest thing is going to be you got to get the farm system to be turning out more talent more frequently than it is, though. I think we we do lose sight of the fact that they have been a really reliably good organization in terms of producing pitching talent. It's just that that doesn't it hasn't always shown up in the most uh, obvious ways. Like we're going to miss the Aaron Ashby bump. I don't know if you guys have seen like James Anderson, my co-host on the minor league extra. He rated Ashby as his number one prospect at the end of this year in terms of dynasty pitching. That's not going to be reflected on this year's uh, this winner's lists because Aaron Ashby lost his rookie eligibility the last couple days of the season here. Yep. So Aaron Ashby is no longer a prospect. So he doesn't count towards prospect lists. He would have, and he would have meant a you know a pretty big jump in terms of he probably would have been in a lot of top fifties. Uh, we've actually had this situation happen before with especially with Brandon Woodruff, and I think also you could argue with Freddie Peralta as well, where they they was never really their true talent was never really reflected in their prospect rankings just because of timing. But they are going to have to start churning out more hitting or find ways to get hitting from other organizations. And if they're going to do that and truly get elite hitting prospects from other organizations, that starts with giving up your prized starting pitching. It just does. And whether or not they want to go that route or whether or not they're ready to go that route right now, I don't know. But there is something to be said for being willing to turn the page and continue to bring through a pipeline of good young players um even if it means giving up you know guys who are extremely talented we've seen the rays do this time and time again we've seen cleveland do this time and time again and it's worked for them so i know people hate it but it it is sort of a, a proven method of being able to extend a window I mean, Drew Rasmussen got the Brewers' Willie Adamas. Yeah. You know, that's kind of <laughs> what you got to do, right, Paul? Right. So, partially, yes. And I, I think they will be okay on pitching, and it is a, a, a position of depth. It's definitely one you can trade from and fix some of your problems on offense. But let's talk about that for a second, because they're in the position of having to potentially part with 
good major league talent at the pitching level because they have been so poor at developing it. Um, that's the problem they have to fundamentally fix to, to keep the window open because you can only go to that well so much. They're really good at it. Like getting Willie Adamas is an incredible pull and they do seem to pull that off with some regularity. Um, but like you can't keep screwing up getting the best college bat and not having it work out. Most teams, when they draft draft the best college bat, have that player turn into a very good player very quickly. And the Brewers, like it's one of the easiest things to do. Um, they keep screwing it up, and their offensive talent is lacking. They they need to create some stars, um, some cheaper stars, because eventually, if they don't, it will drain the pitching and the hitting capital. Um, it's a big hole in the organization, and if they don't do that, they'll end up bad again. So that's their big challenge going forward. They have some time to deal with it because their pitching will carry them for a few years, even if they do tap it once or twice to get offense. But that's going to run out. And uh, that's what they have to fix before it runs out because that's that's where you see them maybe crashing in a few years if they don't. Yeah, and we should point out here too that they do have some exciting young hitting talent coming up through the system. Now, Joey Weimers is one of is the talk of the Arizona Fall League. And so... We will see what that ends up meaning uh, come ranking season and then come next year. But he's not that far away from potentially being an impact bat in the major leagues. But we we need to I, I'm not going to feel comfortable until we see one of these guys break through and have success. And there's yes. guys behind him as well. It's not just him. There's other guys there, too. But you want to see it at this point just because it's been. It's been a long time since we've had a guy just we thought it was Keston here. It looked like it was going to be Keston here in 2019 and then 2020 and 2021 happened. So. All right. Our next Patreon question this week comes from Ted Johnson. He's asking the Stern's philosophy seems to be remain consistently good and make the playoffs, whereas another philosophy is to go all in on one year or two. Do you think the sustained playoff appearances with good teams is a better approach or should the Brewers just go all in one year and mortgage the future? Ryan, I think I know how you feel about the whole mortgage the future thing. We'll agree on this one. So, Ryan, you go first. (laughs) Yeah. So I think if you want to know what I think about this, look at what's going on in the playoffs this year. The teams that mortgaged the most of their future to go forward this year. Um, well, the, the Padres didn't make the playoffs, first right. of all. Yep. They didn't make the show at all. Um, trying to think who else really like really spent a lot like uh, the in terms of in terms of pushing forward, uh, the White Sox got eliminated in the first round. Would you consider the Yankees trading for like Rizzo and Gallo and all those? I guess they didn't give up a ton in terms of prospects. Right. They're just I mean, bad. You never really mortgage the future if you're the Yankees. Right. You're the Yankees, yeah. but yes, point but, still is a good one. Yeah, but the Braves, like what they did, yes, they went out and got a bunch of guys. Did you see that none of those guys that they gave up uh, to get all of those players, you know, the, the Jorge Solares and the Jock Petersons and all that, none of those guys have amounted to, they, they didn't give up anything in their top 10 prospects in their system, and they didn't even add $10 million in payroll. So they, they didn't really mortgage their future. They just sort of made a bunch of moves that all worked. 
It it literally all unlike what Alex Anthopoulos did when he was the Blue Jays general manager, and he'd make these big, huge, splashy moves, bringing in what was it first uh, Troy Tulowitzki, then Josh Donaldson. He'd yeah. make these massive, for massive Jose Reyes too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he'd make these massive blockbuster moves, and they'd barely register in terms of you know where Toronto was able to go. It, it which all comes down to the nature of the MLB's postseason, which is it's a crapshoot, and you the the best team doesn't win. It's the hottest team wins, and it's the team that just has the most break in their favor. Uh, there's no universe in which the the Braves are a better baseball team this year than the Brewers, but they eliminated them in four games, just because yeah. that's baseball. Yeah, I, I think, think you I could think the argue second half Braves are better yeah. than the Brewers are. That's the whole catch with the Braves. Their offense right? is like just much better yeah. than the Brewers' offense is, and so and you know yeah. playoff baseball is different also. Um, in that you don't have to use your four and five starters, really. And that actually, while the Brewers have great top three starters, it actually kind of hurts them in this scenario because their depth is better than the Braves' depth. So, um, But your point still stands. It's a crapshoot. And baseball especially is a crapshoot. You can't be orders of magnitude better than your opponent. It's impossible to be that much better. Um, it's either an old money ball thing or a, like baseball by the numbers, baseball prospectus thing that in a seven game series, um, even the worst team in baseball is going to win it like 10% of the time just because mm-hmm. of random garbage happening during the course of a baseball season. Um, and, you know, when teams are tightly locked up like the playoff baseball teams, it's it literally is just a coin flip most of the time and bad breaks and officiating and balances being funny and all kinds of other people reaching out over fences and grabbing balls all that all kinds of crap's going to impact it and, and cause it to so it's worth making trades to to get into the playoffs for sure it, to get that one extra marginal win that pushes you in that's worth it to avoid the wild card game that's worth it but you can't put like two or three extra stars on your team and think it's going to make any significant difference in your ability to defeat opponents in the playoffs, because it's just not, um, it, it's a, it's not a thing you can do. And um, other sports are different. Like b- basketball is different. If you add a star to your basketball team, it makes you more likely to win playoff games. Uh, even football, you can be orders of magnitude better than people. It's still about getting hot a lot of the time, but um, teams have, in, it's hard to add. There's no trade trading in football, but uh, the, football teams um, are that much better than other teams fairly significantly uh, a good amount of the time. Baseball is not the case. You, you just can't make moves like that. So it's a fool's game. If you uh, if you sell out to try and become some super dominant playoff juggernaut, all you're going to do is mortgage the future for nothing, for like a less than 1% upgrade in your chances of winning a playoff series. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. look at the Dodgers, right? They've got a possible NL Cy Young and the NL batting champion that they acquired at the trade deadline. They are got knocked out of the NLCS, and now everybody's kind of worried <laughs> that the Dodgers don't have that depth that made them so good for the past half decade because they dealt away so much of it. They don't have their top pitching prospect now, Josiah Gray, and now everybody's kind of freaking out about the future of the Dodgers. And the Dodgers you know, are going to be fine, James. They they will be, <laughs> and that's why I kind of rolled my eyes I'm at glad all you the columns it. in the LA Times and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Like they're freaking out, but it's like you're yep. the friggin' Dodgers. You but can resign the all secret, of these guys and be okay. Yeah, the secret but, to yeah. winning a World Series is to get in the playoffs as much as possible, and it's as simple as that. And to get in with good chances. I mean, you don't want to like sneak your way in. Back Wild door. card doesn't count. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. To actually get into the playoffs as much as possible. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Look at the Rays. Like, everybody kind of mocks the method, right? But that it's gotten them to AL pennants mm-hmm. in the last 20 years or whatever it is. You know, like, uh, it's not a lot of teams could even say that they've gone to the World Series that many times yep. in the last 15 years or so. So, uh, you know, yeah, it, it may not be the most sexy thing, but you may catch fire one year. I will say there is, there does seem to be like a type of team that does do well and makes these runs. And I think we've kind of talked about it, right? Like the team that does kind of, you know, I even hate to say it, but cut down the strikeouts and and that kind of thing and can have better bat to ball skills and, you know, actually hit the baseball. That's kind of a requirement for a deep uh, playoff run, but um Maybe that's something the Brewers can improve. But yeah, I think just being in the tournament every year, you, you've got a puncher's chance. And and that's all you can really ask for, especially when that first series, you only need to win three games. So. Yeah, I mean, who was it? Tom Tango was trying to figure out the secret sauce. Him and Nate Silver, I think, going back to you know, way old baseball prospectus days, yep. uh, were trying to figure out the secret sauce to winning in the postseason. And basically what they came up with is there are some advantages to be had by having so, really elite pitching to having good defense and having contact, but that barely moves the needle. Uh, I have to, since we're going to get angry comments if I don't jump in on this right now. Oh boy. So, so this was, it. this was Nate's baby and the secret sauce was developed in a column in baseball between the numbers that he wrote. Uh, the title of the chapter is why doesn't Billy Bean shit work in the playoffs? And it's one of my favorite chapters that anybody's ever written about baseball and it it is um, pitch, not pitching to contact and elite relief pitching. Um, however, about a decade after they wrote that and came to the conclusion that um, starting pitching that misses bats and re- elite relief pitching and, and defense um, win in the playoffs, they retracted the secret sauce and got rid of it. it reran all their numbers, decided that none of it was true. And um, you can go find it on Baseball Prospectus. Have, have, they have a, they have a, they have an article that is um, we're retiring the secret sauce. It's not good for anything. So um, there is no secret sauce to winning in the playoffs. You can do it a whole bunch of different ways, uh, and it really is just random. There's it, everything is noise in terms of any signal you might pick up on one thing working better than anything else. Yep. There you go. So, By the way, about nothing matters. About yeah. five years after that happened. Football outsiders tried to do it with with football teams in the playoffs, which is an even oh my sillier God. thing. That's and so dumb. Called it the secret sauce. Oops. Oh my real, God! Not realizing the prospectus had retired their attempt at it, and just got pilloried <laughs> by baseball people in their comments and made it go away. So yeah, just want to throw that out there too. Oh boy! All right. Uh, I guess kind of moving on. What we've got another Patreon question from Jay Google. It's about that uh, mythical proposed Josh Hader trade to the Padres. I don't know if you guys saw that on Twitter in the last couple of weeks. Um, I don't know if it was a blogger who who put this out there, but uh, Jay says there was the hypothetical trade Hader to the Padres with Hader and Jackie Bradley Jr. going to the Padres for Will Myers, uh, Campusano, and two other top 20 prospects. Uh, so Jay's question is, now's the time to really move Hader, right? Obviously, the Brewers won't be able to move him during the season because they will be in the race because the NL Central <laughs> is so bad. Uh, I guess first, Ryan, 
is that I'm am I crazy? That's like an obscene return for Josh Hader. That's crazy talk, right? So my issue with it is the Will Myers part of it. You're basically asking the Brewers to take on Will Myers' dead $20 million for a player that has less utility than Jackie Bradley Jr. And so that the Padres can stay basically, what would it be, cap neutral? Not cap, but tax neutral. Yeah, tax Um, neutral. Because the Padres are now pushing up against the luxury tax. So that part of it automatically makes me uh, say, I don't think the Brewers would have anything to do with this because... I don't see them taking on $20 million in dead money to make a, a deal work. But yeah, I mean, if you can get Campisano and some of those other guys did seem like they were potentially interesting uh, for Josh Hader, I think that that would be, that would be fine. That would, yeah. I mean, if you can get a top 30 prospect and Campisano by most accounts is a top 30 prospect for Josh Hader, I think you have to kind of do it, but I don't know if the rest of it really makes sense for them. So it's a it's a weird it's a weird deal, and I don't know where Will Myers would even play for the Brewers, and like what his utility to them is. Probably first base. First base. Right? <laughs> well, yeah. no, he would, but like then, okay, so that's great, but like Will Myers at first base is not like an interesting. No, it's not good. No, it's not. So it's just like okay. So it, now that, you've that feels about the prospects. It's not about Will Myers. He's just a guy. He's your pasta at the wall guy. He's your Jed Jerko. I mean, I guess if if they're willing to take on $20 million in dead salary, though they would be moving, but it wouldn't be $20 million in, in dead salary. It'd be Josh Hader's $10 million and, you know, JBJ's, JBJ's what, or whatever. Yeah, 10 or 12 or whatever it is. I don't know. It, it's, it's one of those things. I, there's probably some sense to it, but I just, I don't see how Stearns would, I, I think he would want, he would value the flexibility. If he's going to, deal Josh Hader. He's going to get good young talent for him and get the 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 uh, cap space or cap space, the the payroll <laughs> flexibility. God, I need to get out of that mindset. I'm like buying into the crap. But uh, he's going to get the payroll flexibility then to be able to use that f- in much better ways than Will Myers, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like he's going to take that and then use it to, to do much more right. interesting things. You know, go out and, and grab a... Uh, a John Gray or a uh, um, a Duffy, a Danny Duffy from, you know, like somebody like that who they could potentially turn into a a pitching rehab uh, uh, find. They're mm-hmm. going to do something like that. They're not going to they're not going to bring in, you know, kind of clunky old Will Myers. That, that just doesn't make <laughs> sense. Uh, but now is the time to trade Josh Hader, right, Paul? Always. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> And Jay made that point in there, right? Or did he make that only in our group chat that it, that he was saying that, uh, you know, it, it's probably hard to trade Hater in the middle of next season because you're probably in contention. He did. Oh, he yeah, did. He's, right. okay. yeah, I did. And yeah, that's true. But yes, it's it's probably smart to move on from him sooner rather than later. It's probably a year too soon, but whatever. If, I think if you get that deal, you take it. But that deal is nonsense. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it's probably also easier for David Stearns to trade Josh Hader if he wasn't so pissed at Devin Williams still. So, I mean, <laughs> also that's true. the thing. Like, yeah, that's the guy you want to depend on, right? If or when you do trade Josh Hader. And uh, 
even just that lack of judgment kind of makes it hard to move forward with. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if Devin Williams gets the Trent Grisham Memorial. I can't even look at you trade as some people said on Twitter, but I guess we'll see how that plays out. All right. One last Patreon question before we kind of wrap things up this week comes from Brian Polakowski. Uh, he says, in the absence of the NL finally adopting the DH, please give me a pro and con for Christian Yelich as the starting first baseman for the next seven years. Uh, so if the unlikely event that there's no DH, Paul, does Christian Yelich work at first base? Uh, so we're supposed to do a pro and a con? Yes. So the pro is he's very tall. And it's good for first baseman to be tall. Brewers mess around with short first baseman more than any other team out there. And it, it actually does have a negative impact on their defense because guys like to throw high to first base. Uh, the negative is that he's bad at hitting. And that's a, a big problem for your first baseman. You want your first baseman to be really good at hitting. And uh, you uh, you can't just throw any old bat over there. We've done it before with Unieski Betancourt. We don't need to do it again. Well, okay. he's not hitting for power. He's basically like Mitch Moreland at first base, right? That's not exactly what you want. I will I will be the one to point out here that uh, there's a fairly sizable difference between Uni B's offense and Christian Yelich. <laughs> Even even at Christian Yelich's nadir, here. yeah, Uni hit home runs. Uni Uni played well in the playoff <laughs> once. So is that the difference? Uni Eski Bentoncourt oh. was super awesome at hitting in the playoffs. So <laughs> oh. you can direct all of your hate tweets to at uh, Badger Noonan on this one. Um, what? Oh come on! So Uni's a hero. Anyway, uh, anyway, the, the the Brewers never once lost a game in which Uni Eski Bentoncourt was intentionally walked. That is a fact. That is a fact. Can't argue with science, right? No, you can't. That is just scientific fact. Um, anyway, I think that the the most important thing here is just that moving him to first base is kind of a, a move of last resort, and they're not anywhere near that point yet. Like, he could still play left field. Yeah, he, he was a little more suspect out there than you know he had been in the past, but he's also he's not slow. He's not like a, a bad runner. And normally to just be an okay left fielder, all you need to do is be kind of fast. And he's more than kind of fast. He's fast. So there's no real reason to do it at this point. And I know the metrics weren't good, but I, I don't know how much of that is like the position stuff bleeding over. He has a history of being a good outfielder. So I just don't, I don't quite understand it. I don't, I don't quite get what the whole deal was with him there. Uh, and maybe some of it comes down to, there is still more interactivity in the outfield than there is at other positions. Like having a good center fielder can hurt your left fielder and right fielders numbers in terms of balls that they get to um, in, in terms of effectiveness in a way that like a good shortstop doesn't take away from your third baseman or the second baseman. But in the outfield, it does, it does happen somewhat that way, especially with really good defensive center fielders, which we generally run out there. So yeah, by the way, uh, Uni has an 826 postseason OPS. <laughs> and, and Christian Yelich has a 676 postseason OPS. So there Uni is OPSing about 200 points better than Yelich in the postseason. Uh, Can't argue. I, with that. I'm just here to say that I am going to be trying to get Christian Yelich in like every dynasty league that I'm in this winter. So that's 
that's where my belief is on this subject right now. And I would just like to say I'm going to try and attempt to join Dynasty Leagues featuring Ryan Top so that I can <laughs> trade him Christian Yelich for valuable assets. Oh, oh man. Ryan, that's going to require you to like trade some of your prospects, though, and I don't know if that's going to happen. Oh, I see. I actually do that a lot, so... Okay. Uh, I All don't. Right. I don't prospect hoard in dynasty leagues. I I get a lot of <laughs> prospects because I'm good at finding them. Because uh, I listen to people like JP, and he he tells me, <laughs> and James Anderson. I listen to, to smart people tell me who are the the guys I should jump on early, and I get them. And then a year later, they have a lot of value, and I can trade them for guys that I I want to use to win. So, All yes, right. I, just, I came out I'm... of my deep dark rebuilds over the last okay. uh, year. Okay, we're in the golden era of Ryan baseball teams. Mm-hmm. That's good. We are. All right, uh, that'll do it for Patreon questions this week. Uh, reminder, uh, two bucks a month, you get question priority, patreon.com slash tailgate. Five bucks, you get that question priority. You get the Minor League Extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson, who will apparently help you win your Dynasty League. And you get some free stuff if you sign up at that level before the end of this week as Paul is giving away a bunch of uh, free swag. So please do that uh, before the end of this week. And as always, we want we would appreciate it if you uh, leave us a review and a rating for this podcast. The deal is always Paul will read literally anything you write in the review if you give us five stars. And Paul, I believe we've got a test of this theory this week. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. Uh, from Slappy and Lacrosse. Appreciate the five-star comment, as always. And, uh, yeah, we'll just get through this as quick as we can. Um, a bunch of lawyers and failing sports writers. That's that's the title. Um, if they just talked about Brewer baseball, it'd be great. I highly doubt any of these clowns would say boo to Trevor Bauer if locked in a room with him. But they continue to disparage a guy they never had any contact with every third episode. But before I respond, I would like to acknowledge I am a horrible lawyer who no one should ever hire and agree I am a coward. That being said, I only criticize Trevor Bauer because I do not value freedom or American values. Matter of fact, I hate personal freedom and kick puppies. So that, that's it. The end. Paul, um, thanks, right. thanks that Slappy. Was, that was Good quite the uh, confession that you just dropped on us, Paul. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I will say uh, I can't be a failing sports writer if I never was one in the first place. So there's yeah, that. Well, but so, so I, like, I still, do, I, I still do okay. So. This does raise a few questions. First of all, the idea of being locked in a room alone with Trevor Bauer is legitimately terrifying to me. So it is yeah, for like lots of reasons, because that seems like a really like God knows what he would do with his drone or whatever. So that <laughs> seems that seems particularly horrifying. But also just the idea <laughs> who spends this much time defending Trevor Bauer. <laughs> I don't Yeah. Why? Why? <laughs> it's a weird thing. It's a weird, weird hill to die on. It is, uh... is. like Trevor Bauer is a very, very at at most. He's a very like the best thing you could say about it is he's a very strange guy. Yeah, you can say like, he's weird. He's very weird. And like, is it possible that this is actually Trevor Bauer? I mean, it's always possible, but probably I mean, not. I mean, like, but who else could possibly care this much? That we say mean things about Trevor Bauer like once in a while. He's just one of them cult figures. He's got cult followers. It's so bizarre though, because like he's legitimately like a really scary dude and seems to have a lot of issues. And like why he would attract followers is well, that's just weird. I don't know. I, I don't not want to think about that now.
have you be, have you not been in America for the last six years? <laughs> there is that, you know, like there is that. The the power of the cult figure is uh, it's, it's a real it's a real kick in the balls. Well, I mean, okay, really really quick because I want to end this podcast before the football game ends. Um, Tr- Trevor Bauer was a a like cult figure of baseball development before he was a known complete psycho. But even then, he was known as a like partial psycho. He, but he's the subject of the MVP machine, uh, a a very well received and well regarded book about baseball where he is essentially the hero of it. And he he's portrayed as just a workaholic um, innovator of baseball pitching and an underdog who who has a rival who is supremely physically talented where he had to build everything from scratch. Like that is the popular portrayal of Trevor Bauer for a lot of his career. And, you know, we've known he's a bit of a weirdo right wing guy even through that, but not quite as severe as he turned out to be with, you know, many accusations of sexual misconduct at him and just starting to more freely speak his mind on on things that are offensive. So um, he he built up a big cult following and he is he built up the kind of cult following that you're not going to lose by being a right wing nut bar and in fact may expand substantially. So yeah, that does uh, seem to be the case. Perfect storm for that to happen. And, you know, you know how those guys are. It's like, oh, he's now being he's now being canceled. He's a victim of of people being cowards and not wanting to go away from traditional masculinity and being overly sensitive about racism. Like that's the people who support Trevor Bauer. So um, it's not surprising. There's a lot of it out there. And uh, that's just where we are these days. Yeah, it's it's just bizarre. Like it is. It's just strange, though. All right. On that note. If you want to make us talk about all this stuff, you can leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast as well. Uh, we appreciate the rating, and while you're there, please uh, hit the subscribe button, Apple Podcast, Spotify, whatever. And as always, as we mentioned, leave a review and a rating, five stars, and you can make us talk about Trevor Bauer for the first time in literal months. So mm-hmm. there you go. All right. Um, on that note, thanks everybody uh, for listening this week. Uh, hopefully, maybe the Brewers will have a hitting coach or something we can talk about next week. Otherwise, we'll probably recap the World Series. Uh, take all your other off-season questions. Uh, hope you all have a good week. Thanks for listening. As always, we'll see you next time here on the Walkies Tailgate.